everyone for being here. I'm so happy to be here. Um, I have images, so I think in a little bit we can sh make sure that everyone can see okay. Um, and I also was wondering if you all knew each other already, because I'm meeting some of you for the first time. But do you, does everyone know each other? Could we, could I trouble us to do some quick intros, just because it's a small group. I'm not going to pretend I have an audience of hundreds where we can't, you know, and the whole, as you can see, we've created a tableau, so clearly I want us to have some fun today. So um, in, in a moment, maybe I'll ask us to go around, but just to orient, um, I, today, I, here are my goals. I wanted to um, get to know you. I wanted to learn from you all, and that was a big piece of why I wanted to come and was so grateful to have the invitation. I want us to see if we can leave um, with some new stories in our minds about where we are and where we're going. <laughs> and so that's why, as you know, I frame this conversation uh, with two words, home and elsewhere, uh, that are both words that are uh, we think we know what it means, but it, as soon as you start thinking about it, it starts to mean everywhere and nowhere. Um, and so to that end, I'll be sharing images of my work, but also posing questions um, to you all that we can kind of write or draw and then share with each other. Um, that's sort of all that is meant by workshop or exercise or whatever words. <laughs> it's just like, let's kind of draw and play and think together. Um, and then if we're up for it, then the paper beneath we might, well, we can draw on it for now and then also maybe do some, make kind of a big drawing together. <laughs> Does that sound good? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, and if there are other you, uh, markers or things lying around, maybe uh, maybe this would be enough, maybe not. Um, but again, I'm bees. I do use they, them pronouns. I'm coming from Los Angeles. Okay, so um, I'm a visual artist, I'm an architect. My family roots, as you can see on the map, are from Anhui province in villages that are full with yellow canola flowers and bamboo forests and stone cliffs that pierce through the fog, as well as in Shandong province where Confucius's homeland is and where the mountains reach down to reach the ocean. Um, I grew up myself in New York, Indianapolis, and Providence, so love New England. And I've been working and living in Philadelphia, Oakland, and Los Angeles since. Uh, and I'm speaking today um, th from my, these many intersecting identities um, as a Chinese diasporic US citizen, as a trans and non-binary queer person, um, and as an art artist and an architect trained specifically in the Western tradition here in the United States. Um, and I'm also an organizer. I'm a core organizer with the Designist Protest Collective and Dark Matter University uh, who do incredible work in the design fields. Um, and as we puzzle through some images and questions in the next hour or so, I will be speaking primarily from those layers. Uh, Western art and architectural training filtered through an East Asian diasporic and queer lens, um, as well as an anti-racist and anti-colonial lens. So uh, in doing so, I'm, I see myself as kind of one thread among so many other threads, so many other thinkers and artists and, and communities who are uh, working through the same conversations. 
um, as we are now. And I come to Wampanoag lands this week from uh, Tavangar, uh, which is the unceded traditional lands of the Tongva, Tataviam, uh, Akashaman, and Chumash peoples who have lived and continue to live there in relationship with their homeland. Um, and I lived in occupied Tavangar as an uninvited immigrant settler. So one of the uh, groups I want to highlight here is the Akachemen Tongva Land Conservancy, which is working right now to um, uh, rematriate land in Southern California. So um, just to highlight their work as I begin and from where I'm speaking from. So as I just sort of described some of where I'm coming from, I'm very curious to see if we can write down, um, and there's both paper here, loose paper, as well as the big paper, which you can just immediately, we can immediately grab a utensils and start writing. I, my question is, where is home for you and where are homes for you? And as I'm going to speak as we start to do this, um, I'm, I'm curious if we can go beyond like a street address or a political boundary. So for instance, for me, it's not really like a bunch of numbers and a street or uh, uh, where I vote. <laughs> it's um, the green bungalow with the strange cactus in front. It's the uh, brick and stone house on the corner where the giant magnolia tree is. Um, it's the bedroom that's facing the street. It's the room that has no closet. It's the bed across from the bookshelf, the corner that always gets a little cold. These are each homes for me. It's where I say I feel home, I'm at home in those kinds of spaces. Uh, I'm gonna keep speaking and you're, um, as you're getting ready just to put ideas in your head. You want words. Words, descriptions, it's a list. If you are someone who would rather draw, um, please do. I, again, I think this is sort of like what the magic of doing this together is that we can see how each other thinks <laughs> as well. So don't try to think like I'm thinking. I want to learn how you're thinking, right? Um, other homes for me would be the apartment a mile away from campus, the neighborhood at the water, the land three times colonized, the Yellow Mountains and the Middle Kingdom. It's also the bar where I could finally have a drink and relax my shoulders. It's the diner at 2 a.m. and again at 5 a.m. It's the same stop where I wait for the bus or the subway. It's the umbrella that someone shares with me in the rain. It's the smell of coffee. It's the taste of sesame oil and soy sauce together. <laughs> uh, the rhythms of seasons, the cycles, the tulip coming up at the same time, hopefully same time, not too early. <laughs> so I'm gonna pause there because I see lots of, I hear lots of scribbling, which is another great home sound for me. And feel free to like move if, if you need to get a more comfortable spot and come back. There's, I want to see, there's so much more. I'm like, we could just stop here and just do, <laughs> keep sharing. 
Um, but I'll continue and feel free to keep writing and thinking. Um, so, you know, as an artist and architect, and especially as an architect in my architectural training, um, it home was not a word that we used. We used house, residential, commercial, you know. And so it really actually made me dig my heels in a little bit um, in these questions about belonging. And the two words that I came, that I kept circling around um, and became very preoccupied with are home and elsewhere, the words that I wanted us to think about today. And now um, the reason is for my my, thought here is these are these two words, two cultural ideas, and I would say two foundational stories about where we are and who we are. Um, and they are, uh, they serve to construct, and I use that word very intentionally here, literally physically building, but also socially constructing our sense of belonging, who belongs, what belongs, and where. So uh, home, I would say, while primarily used to describe a place of domestic habitation, right, my home, uh, is also actually in the, def you know, by definition refers to uh, familiar or usual settings, right? That's why I was saying like, oh, a bus stop, you know, the uh, someone's hug, you know, the song that you, you love, the, the currents that you're finding yourself in that change temperature, you know. Um, and elsewhere is, um, so yeah, so, you know, home base, home page, home court, uh, like home team, right? Uh, even the home button on our device, these are all homes. Uh, and then as a counterpoint elsewhere, shifts our attention, so quote, in or to another place. It's kind of a non-place. It's not here and it's away. Um, and I became drawn specifically to spaces where elsewhere and home seem to collide physically. And much of my work since then, um, since I sort of like first you know, stumbled upon these two words together, uh, has remained situated in both the literal spaces of elsewhere and home. So landfills, uh, houses, wilderness, uh, campsites, wastelands, hometowns, um, and also in their socially constructed space. So the value embedded narratives that determine whether something belongs and to whom. Um, and since we construct both narratives through principles of exclusion, elsewhere is a lot closer to home than we say. And so my question was always, how do I use then these tools that I'm building as an artist, as an architect, um, not in service of capitalist development, but to, you know, to build more homes like McMansions and things like that, but actually to understand these critical challenges and realities of our time that all, everyone in the room you know, is, is concerned with. Um, and how could we actually use these visual languages to see differently, um, to tell other stories of place and, uh, you know, to, to build different, to construct like new physical and social ideas of place. Um, so put another way, I have been asking myself elsewhere or elsewhere um, in my search for a place like home. Um, and so I'm curious then where are elsewheres for you? This is, you might notice like with homes, it's like, oh, there's kind of immediate physical reactions. Like, oh, that's home, that's home, that's home, that's home. For elsewhere, for me, I find that they don't really have very many names at all because it's kind of a, by definition, somewhere else from here. So as you're thinking, uh, I'll share a few for me. The first elsewheres I think of are actually connected directly to my domestic home. Uh, it is where my electricity comes from. 
jumping up and down from transformers on wires generated from coal or gas or oil or wind carried across the desert, across the city uh, to charge the phone that I read my news on. It is the trash in my trash bin in my bed bathroom, that's an elsewhere, in my kitchen, another elsewhere, that goes into the trash bin in my yard, to the street, to the truck, to the landfill, to sit, to remain there, a forever home, and my forever elsewhere. Um, but it's also adventure and escape. It's elsewhere is a wilderness that I go to, not really wild itself, what does that even mean? Um, but that maybe makes me feel wild. A swamp or a cape that holds secrets of marinage and fugitivity um, and inscrutability. Uh, Edouard Glissant's right to opacity is an elsewhere where someone can't find you. So um, these are some of the <laughs> ideas that I have for, it's the, it's, the, it's the drawer in my kitchen where all the, the random things go to and then I also somehow never find them again. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I, it starts to, I start to realize that there's little pockets of a way, even in my very home. But I'm very curious. I'm like, I'm, I see a lot of pen, a pensive, a lot of thinking. So I'm curious if we give it a, a minute. If we need more space. Do we need more paper? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And the other, as you're working, as you're writing, as you're thinking, another, the other questions that are on the screen for those of you who can't see the projection, uh, what is a home for you that is seen by others as an elsewhere? Or what is an elsewhere for you that is seen by others as a home? Yes, I love how you said that. <laughs> well, and I'll, I'll tack onto that. In, a, in my Western lifestyle, yes, elsewhere is the life support, but not, not all lifestyles <laughs> and not all uh, worldviews, right? But in the Western worldview, yes. I love that, Mark. Thank you. So uh, a quote that I wanted to share that I think about, um, it's, it's not, so I'll, st I'll preface by saying, to me, um, or I, I'm, I'm so pleased and, and appreciative of all of the answers that folks have been giving. I also wanted to note that, you know, uh, it was easy to write a list of homes and then just share one or, or two. But I, I, I w what I was feeling with all of us is that, we needed a little more space to explain <laughs> what, what we meant. And even like the, the slipperiness or the discomfort of even being asked to define elsewhere, thank you for doing it. I find myself feeling uncomfortable <laughs> doing it. So I appreciate that you took, a, took, uh, took that leap of faith. 
with me. Um, it's kind of, um, it's, an, it's, it's intentional for me because for what I'm, where, where my head is at, it's not that, it's not just that we don't quite know where we're going, whether that's as an individual, as a community, as a, um, as a society, as a country, as a, you know, a global community, um, but that we don't really, I would argue we don't really know where we are. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what this is all about for me. Uh, so the, you know, so um, I love this idea of layered presence. So this is uh, geographer Dr. Brandy Summers, who writes, perhaps it is time to imagine not a future divorced from the past, but a layered present in which our awareness and acknowledgement can help to make room for a truly radical reimagination of interior and exterior life alike so layered present like a layered layers of present moments i also kind of misread it as like a gift like layers of gifts right or i also misread it then as like a presence with a ce ending so a layered um aura or you know or atmosphere that we have about it and really a lot of you were giving us examples of elsewhere and home that are not just spatial but temporal um, so really starting to disrupt the uh, linearity of space and time, but actually recognizing that our ideas about place are inherently beyond that linearity of a Western time frame. Um, and then very quickly, what I'll do, f folks will be familiar with this, and any kind of conversation that we have like this, where we're talking about um, identity and community identity and place and what kinds of tools do we have to use about it i would be remiss if we did not um, uh, refer to and and acknowledge our debt to audrey lord she says the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house um, and i'm going to just skip ahead for today into another part of this passage which i love and if we can picture her um, this queer black woman theorist speaking, she was actually speaking to a room of mostly white lesbian women. Um, and she actually is saying, um, this is an old and primary tool of all oppressors to keep the oppressed occupied with the master's concerns. And she's actually talking about the task of women of color in educating white women you know, about um, our joint struggle and our joint survival and really getting into that um, challenge of intersectionality um, and solidarity with each other, right? So I think people sometimes, uh, I, I love coming back to this context of it because she's absolutely right that the master's tools will not dismantle the master's house, but sometimes people use that quotation to say, well, we shouldn't try it all, basically, or like you shouldn't lift up that tool because it's not going to dismantle the house. And as um, someone with a lot of visual and spatial tools, I'm very curious about that because I, you know, I, as, especially as um, myself, a queer person of color, I'm like, well, I think what she's saying here is actually there's something more about what those intent, when, when she says concerns, what were those concerns? I'm very curious. So um, I have a few reflections. First, the master's tools did not belong to the master in the first place. Um, and one quick example I'll use is this painting from um, my homeland. So it's called Qingming Shang He Tu. It's by an artist, Zhang Zeduan about a thousand years ago painted this uh, over five meter long scroll. 
And what's immediately obvious for those who can see the screen is that my attempt to show you the length of the work, again, over five meters, of course, results in us not being able to see it at all. Um, and that's precisely the point. These scroll paintings were, uh, in fact, choreographed uh, to be unveilings, unravelings of a spatial temporal narrative in which the viewer is able to freely move back and forth within the space, shifting their view rather than moving in, um, in front of a view that was already fixed, right? So, okay, so I, I made it into a GIF so that you can sort of start to see yeah. what's going on here. Um, and, and, and for some of us who might be familiar with map making or architectural drawing, there's a word for this in, in Western society, it's parallel projection. And so um, uh, I, it's what, what's intensely intriguing to me is that I was familiar already with parallel projection from my ancestry and my heritage, but had, was retaught it and packaged up in architecture school as a Western invention, right? And what we're seeing here <laughs> is parallel projection allowed John Zodoin and other East Asian artists to actually create these like expansive sweeping visual and spatial analyses of class, gender, geography, and daily life with incredible precision. Um, and as well in East Asian painting traditions, uh, text was also incorporated as poetry to heighten the experience. There was not the same um, commodification of artwork. Uh, they were not meant to be bought and sold uh, the way that uh, we often have to do today um, as individuals. Um, and in this case, the title itself, Along the River during the Qingming Festival, which is um, the tomb sweeping festival, a time where you go back to the tombs of your ancestors to care for them. So the title itself is referring to a long journey upriver uh, to care for those tombs. Um, but, um, but the East Asian artists and architects that you might be, take a look at uh, found that it was a useful tool, this way of drawing and seeing the world, even outside of the scroll, as we can see in the way the urban fabric of this uh, is, is depicted in this very meticulous, unattributed Korean painting, painting of Eastern palaces, or uh, even these um, really exquisite interior scenes uh, by Tsukioka Yoshitoshi, interior of a brothel. And these, by the way, were uh, then shipped across uh, Western empires and, and exhibited very broadly. So uh, um, there's no prizes for guessing how then this kind of drawing uh, shifted into the Western milieu. Um, and last semester I was teaching architecture at USC and I found it useful to remind my young students that they'd actually seen parallel projection before, uh, also in video games. Um, although definitely not this one, which was the first one that was produced out of Japan in 1981. So that visual language that carried forward even into video games of today. Uh, and then, you know, for, for non-Chinese -speak, non speaking folks in the room um, who might have been unfamiliar with these words, uh, uh, and although Mandarin was my first language, um, I, like many other uh, children of immigrants, had to quickly learn English, and so my skills, my language skills somewhat plateaued at ordering dim sum. Uh, but breaking down the term here, uh, character by character, it makes a lot of sense, right? So for those who can't see it, it's saying each term is literally saying equal distance, passing through, and an attentive look. So we're 
parallel projection again for anyone who's not familiar is where we no longer let all of the lines like in 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 our real in the real world perspective they all recede into uh, a vanishing point right um sometimes we do two vanishing points in parallel projection they never vanish they just continue infinitely par and parallel to each other that's what that's what we're talking about um okay so, you know, even seeing kind of <laughs> this term in Chinese for parallel projection, I, I felt a strong dissonance in my studies uh, between the nuance and softness of these words and the scrolls uh, and then as, um, and the association that was then drilled into me in Western architecture with uh, Peter Eisenman and de Steele and the modernism and all of these ways that it's the, that Euro-American industrial militarized and imperialist uses of this representational tool um, then sort of served for um, or, or were used toward the accumulation of land and capital. And then just one kind of deeper dive from there, there's one more word that um, I would offer here in Mandarin, uh, which is the together is the word for universe as in oh, like the mysteries of the universe, as we would say, and it's literally in Chinese space and time. Um, and, <laughs> and in traditional Chinese cosmology dating to 2000 years ago, uh, the universe has always been a space-time uh, continuum as one, uh, with this being an illustration of that concept. Uh, it was not a linear idea of time. Um, so this, this type of drawing and the cosmology were actually emergent around the same time. Um, and informed each other greatly and certainly might explain to us why uh, humans in the first century would have thought it'd be fun to draw those infinite video game <laughs> lines, right? And the dissonance really arises, uh, I'm gonna go through this a little quickly in uh, for time's sake, but really when 16th and 17th century Jesuit missionaries traveling the Silk Road were bringing these ideas back and forth along with silk and tea and gunpowder and paper and spice and this imperial and colonial encounter uh, spurring the same imperial and, and, and colonial encounters over here on this side of the world, right? Um, and this was, the, this was the man, again, I'll skip through this for the sake of time, but William Farish was the uh, British scholar who um, is credited with the invention of this drawing style. Um, <laughs> And, and really in, 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 uh, in service of this emergent industrialization. So it was, it was his paper that I kind of blew past was about how this type of drawing could be used uh, to depict how, an, like a kit of parts, how um, the assembly of different machines could be made. So it's like, ah, of course. Um, Okay, and one, what maybe one, two other examples of sort of how we can tease apart master's tools, master's concerns, if you will. Uh, some of you might be familiar with this work by Fred Wilson, who is an Afro-Indigenous American artist. He composed this piece called Cabinet Making, 1820 to 1960, as part of his seminal 1992 exhibit, Mining the Museum at the Maryland Historical Society. Uh, he's positioning here, and what we're seeing in the image, um, a series of antique Victorian chairs, and it's juxtaposed with a whipping post. 
Uh, in doing so, uh, Fred Wilson is confronting the historical erasure that might suggest to us that these chairs, for instance, were solely uh, produced by the oppressor. Instead, it's clear that most were the production of skilled craftspeople who were trafficked and enslaved. Uh, so the tools may have been claimed by the enslaving class in this case, but it's not very clear to me or maybe to us that the product, the labor, and even the tools then can truly belong to them as more than a claim. Uh, and then, you know, maybe as a, just a final third example in Tovanger, so-called Los Angeles, where I live, uh, I live in what we call a California bungalow, which is characterized as a single one or one and a half story house building, residential building, back to that, not a home, on a concrete or masonry platform with a street facing veranda, a pitched roof, and a surrounding yard. It is so quintessentially American that we see bungalows now in every region of this country and have even exported it to Australia. So if you've been to Sydney, there are a lot of California bungalows there as well. Uh, but it's actually on Los Angeles, so three times colonized land, Spanish first and the Mexican state and the US to follow. Uh, it is a British colonial housing type adapted for military and government officers occupying South Asia. The word bungalow actually uh, coming from an anglicization of bangla, meaning Bengali, uh, and it's a British colonial corruption of Bengali vernacular housing, but stripped of any cultural or community relationship. So stripped of the way they might have been oriented in, in community with each other, stripped of the way the materials would have come from uh, the land stripped from all of that and then set in little blocks in Los Angeles now. And again, you know, we know, we already knew this about the histories of innovation of quote unquote new tools in art and architecture and visual language that these quote unquote discoveries of new technologies and styles are deeply entrenched in these histories of colonization and empire and are in many ways simply what was and is extracted by colonial and imperial states for consumption. <laughs> Woo. So uh, secondly, perhaps the master's tools are admissible and even more powerful. This is my proposition. If we choose to disentangle the master's concerns and instead to uplift our own, identify, I would say, and uplift our own, right? So really what I think these examples have been um, building towards, I hope, is this idea that there's not really a line with whose tool is it, who's, where is this coming from, right? Um, if we're really gonna go in and the history is so rich and, and fascinating, so I hope that we all continue to dive into it, uh, we, we, we don't, don't find much of an answer at all. So to me, it brings me back to what Audre Lorde said about the master's concerns. So the questions I have are, in my practice, are twofold. One is how can disciplinary tools of art and architecture um, be used to imagine futures beyond settler colonialism, racial capitalism, and cis-heteropatriarchy? Or put another way, how can they be used to unveil, rev reveal, unleash, and draw forth these layered present moments, so temporal and liberatory futures. Um, and borrowing from Sara Ahmed, a queer theorist, queer feminist theorist, 
uh, who says you reproduce something by stabilizing the requirements for what you need to survive or thrive in an environment. I, I think we uh, know deeply how many kinds of stories we are telling now about home and elsewhere, about the places we're from and we're not from. Um, and we're, we're every day, every expression of those ideas uh, is a reproduction of some part of that idea. Does that make sense? So she actually says it better than me. She says, the more the path is used, the more the path is used. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, the, that's sort of our, you know, the, that's, that's her call out of, our, um, of the accountability that we have to have, right, every time. Even the way you, you, you choose to go on that, what you, we might call a cow path or something, you know, cut across the lawn. <laughs> instead of walking around on the, on the designated path or something, or maybe we have to get off of the designated path uh, and they go different ways. My questions are really, you know, I sh I'm sharing with you some of for me, but what tools do we have that other, what tools do you have? What tools do I have that others do not? Uh, what are you told these tools are for? That's my way of asking you, what are those concerns, right? Um, so what have you been told the tool is for? For instance, I have been told that architectural drawing is for make, building new construction. <laughs> um, and I, I didn't, sh I, I've, I have images of my work, but um, you would see very quickly that, that that is not what I use it for. Uh, what are the tools very good at that you have? And what are they not good at? And what could those tools be used for, but usually aren't? So in my personal practice, just to go really broadly, um, what does some of this look like? I think maybe some of you are wondering after I've posed all these big questions. Um, so master's tools with other concerns uh, often for me looks like misuse, misreading, misalignment, uh, and hiding in plain sight, um, and extreme attachment to certain objects. <laughs> so here it's a misuse of canvas and wood to support life rather than supporting painted surface a painting as a trellis. Uh, here, lamps as domestic characters uh, plugged into violent resource extraction, so using their wires then uh, to, draw, uh, to draw back where the electricity is coming from. So here, live wires of assemblage lamps draw mountaintop removal coal mining sites and topography onto the walls, the domestic and the planetary sharing the same room, uh, illumination destruction at the same time, literalizing our intimate relationship between the private dreamlike lamp and the public nightmarish sources that power them. Uh, here, paint on a different kind of surface, a color study in which the personal is the political. Proximity to whiteness makes you your own backstabber. In another project, uh, uh, here an apparatus for the body that literalizes the act of making space for another body. This is created in collaboration with another designer, Amy Louie. We can see comfort, discomfort, the power and agency given by the wearer, but also taken away from the wearer by temporary occupying bodies. I've made space for you and now I can't get up. Uh, we all know that. Uh, You've heard of it. 
who makes space, who takes space, how does this happen? No one wanted to sit there once I was on that seat. Uh, so it was super fun, uh, by the way. So in imagining a prosthetic that allows one body to literally, quote, make space for another, we also make visible the vulnerability of such a body in relation to other unfamiliar bodies. Uh, these are some funny drawings that we made um, of them. Okay. Uh, extreme attachment to certain objects, portraits of objects as deferred statements, the cone that says pay attention even when it's knocked over, even when it's fallen down, um, and the parallel projection of these objects on vertical canvases evoking Chinese hanging scrolls even while situated in the West. Uh, which turns into community design work. So this is some of my recent work as an architect. Here for the Princeton, Princeton University's Gender and Sexuality Resource Center, which I was commissioned to implement spatial design for based on community interviews with students and staff and alums about what it means to create safety for the intersection of trans, queer, uh, women, and, and communities of color within an elite ivory tower. So we're having these nested forms uh, um, reflecting the nesting and intersections, intersecting identities of the students, but having the changeability of the furniture reflect uh, the active creation of queer space. Uh, the opposite of a, a cis-heterosexual space is, is not a queer space. Queer space is an infinite, <laughs> an actively evolving kind of space, right? Okay, and then more recently in my art practice, uh, literalizing the act of losing face or saving face, a phrase I grew up with both in Mandarin and English, uh, which served as both expressions of the Eastern culture that my family came from, but also uh, cues from them or survival tactics around assimilation, compliance, uh, and safety within the Western culture we found ourselves in. Um, and as a queer diasporic person, I've found and find incredible resonances and abundance in queer community spaces, particularly with roots in black and brown and trans and queer ballroom culture, where we learned that, quote, serving face can actually be a powerful expression of individual agency as well as collective care and, and collaboration and celebration. Um, and so I'm going to actually probably blow through this quickly because I think we have don't want to uh, or want to be mindful of time. Um, in the architectural drawing, then I start to uh, misuse the tools that we might use to build um, developments <laughs> um, to actually see spaces that have been drawn, I would say, incorrectly another way. So freeways are typically shown on our GPS maps, on Google Maps, um, to approximate other roads. Uh, instead of what they are, which are these concrete monoliths that have been used as tools of settler states to <laughs> displace communities that it considers disposable. Um, so if we take a floor plan cut, a typical four foot above finished floor cut that we would use on a house to show where the windows and doors are, but instead use it on a freeway to show where the monoliths are, uh, we might start to understand the scale of the spatial violence and what's been lost. Uh, this is in Oakland, California. Um, 
So these are kind of, these are zoomed in blocks of pochet, pochet being that the, the shaded area that's been cut through. Uh, so entire city blocks of pochet have emerged. Um, I'm going to stop there with these images because I want us to draw. What I would like us to do is um, take this entire...